everybody. That was awkward. Um, welcome. Yeah, I don't know what you say back to that. Good morning. Uh, my name is Mark. It's really great to be with you. Seriously, it is. Uh, today, we're going to finish an ongoing series that we've been doing, kind of this conversation around growing. The fruit of the Spirit is what we've titled it. And specifically, we've been looking at Galatians, uh, one of Paul's letters, this book in the Bible. And we're kind of looking at what the fruit of the Spirit is. You guys saw that word with the red background. Today is the last one, self-control, self-control. So they said, hey, let's get the youth pastor to talk about that. That sounds, that sounds great. Yeah. Um, this morning, we're going to do three things. First, we're going to look at Paul's letter and kind of summarize it, actually, uh, as we close this series. Um, and then we're going to look specifically at this word self-control and what it means and... Uh, how the Holy Spirit would produce that in us. And finally, we're gonna make sure we don't just talk about God. We're gonna make sure that we talk with him, we listen with him, we sit with him. How does that sound? Good, cool. Uh, before we do anything, I'm guessing there might be some of you that need to hear something. So I'm gonna say that first. Uh, first to those in the room who have exercised self-control when it wasn't easy. Um, I'm thinking of the people who, their boss maybe did something that was unfair and you held your tongue. I'm thinking of the people who, someone you love, your spouse, sibling, said something kind of a cheap shot and you decided not to attack back. Thinking of uh, the people who have been peer pressured from their friends or other people and you chose to say no and you held your ground. You didn't feel like you needed to justify yourself or judge them, you just said no or to the engaged or dating couples who are holding their physical boundaries. Good job. Good job, friends. I know that's not easy. Good job showing people around you what self-control looks like, the power that is in self-control. Good job being like Jesus, and good job showing Christ to the world. And then there are those of us in this room who have had heated arguments, maybe even this morning, or just in a moment simply of stress, you decided to be the one to throw the cheap shot at someone you love. Or maybe that person who constantly is going to their vice again and again and again and again because they can't control themselves. To anyone who hasn't exercised self-control and you've watched that, you've experienced that hurt you or other people. To the person who this morning, right now, if you just wait a second you can remember and feel the guilt. And more importantly, you know the shame of your life. I have good news. I have good news. And if you're sitting here this morning and it's already heavy, or if you're trying to ignore it and you need to hear that good news now, I'll tell you now. Despite Satan attacking you, despite the lies he would tell you, despite the accusations he would throw at you, despite what happened this morning, yesterday or earlier this week or earlier this month or earlier this year or years in your past, there is a God who absolutely loves you. He has never been embarrassed by you and there is life and freedom to be had that he is willing to give you. Amen? Amen. On a lighter note, there's two different titles for this morning. So you get to choose, little did you know. Uh, one, one title for this morning is Chasing the Wind, Chasing the Wind. 
The other is becoming like Jesus, becoming a gardener, the journey to becoming fully human again. So yeah, I guess you get to choose whichever title you like more if you're not much of a title person and you're like, none of those are particularly interesting. Great, we're just gonna keep moving on. Don't worry about it. I have to say that I've loved this uh, sermon series and here's why. It's been all about spiritual formation, which if you have the question, what is spiritual formation? That's a total fair question. Dr. Mary-Kate Morse writes that spiritual formation is the process of being conformed to the image of Christ for the glory of God and for the sake of others. For the glory of God and for the sake of others. She goes on to say that the focus of spiritual formation is the Holy Spirit who guides this ongoing journey. Or as Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, for the Lord is the Spirit, And wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. So it's fitting, church family, journey friends, that we, as we're asking this question of how do we become more like Jesus, as we ask this question of being, how do we be guided by the Holy Spirit that we would turn to this book of Galatians, this book all about freedom. And so now, let me remind us of the song we sang of what the creator of the universe, our Lord, our friend, Jesus, what exactly he is like and what this spirit might produce in us. Galatians 5, through 23. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Would you pray with me? God, we're so grateful to be here. We're so grateful to be together, to not be alone. And God, we know that there are some of us who feel alone even in a room this big. And so God, I would ask now that you would even draw close to those of us who feel alone. God, I ask that all and any words that I say this morning would glorify you. Spirit, we ask that you would begin to talk to us and that we would even have ears, not just physical ears, but ears to hear you. God, would we receive individually and corporately whatever it is that you would like to say to us this morning. We love you. And we are so grateful that you have loved us first. Everybody said, amen. Okay, so let's get this summary part out of the way first. How about that? So we're gonna talk a little bit about this book of Galatians. And the first thing that we need to know is it's it's a letter. And if you write a letter, you have to write it to somebody. And so who is this letter that Paul wrote to? Well, it's to these churches in Galatia. Galatia is a place. And as he writes these letters, which you should totally read, by the way. You should totally just take 20 minutes and just read Galatians. Like, I know how easy it is to hear someone on stage say, read the Bible, and like, you can dismiss that. But totally, read Galatians. Just take 20 minutes, read the entire book. Don't stop, don't try to analyze anything or take notes, just read it. And if you do that, one of the things you'll really, really quickly find is that Paul is so passionate about this. He's so passionate as he's writing this letter to his friends in Galatia. And so here Paul is, he's writing. And he's writing because there's this tension, there's these debates that have come up. And so what are these tensions? What are these debates? Can you imagine Christians actually disagreeing with one another? Jeez. 
There's this group of Jewish people and they're trying to follow Jesus. And it's probably important for us to remember that our entire Christian faith comes out of Jewish history and faith. And although it comes out of the Jewish history, the message of Christianity is not just for one ethnic group. It's a message for the entire world, all of humanity. And so you have these Jewish people following Jesus. And because this message is not just for one group, we actually find that there are other people. There are Gentiles. There are people who are not Jewish who want to follow Jesus. And herein lies the debate, the tension. Historically, the covenant people of God, Israel, were set apart from other groups because of the Torah, the law. They would practice these things. It would change the way they lived their lives. And so they looked different from other groups. It was the way that they engaged with God, the way they pleased God, the way they understood the will of God. So these Jewish followers of Christ found these non-Jewish followers of Christ. And they said, if you really want to join God's family, if you really want to follow Christ, you too have to follow the law. There's the tension. You can read a bunch more about this in Acts 15, by the way. You must do these things do these good things, do these things that please God, they would say. Remember the Torah, remember the stories. This is what we've learned of how to please God. If we don't use these laws, if we don't follow these laws, how will we please God? And what's Paul's response to all of this? Paul doesn't bash the laws. He actually says they're good. He summarizes the Torah, the law, by saying, ultimately, the laws are about loving your neighbor. Probably something you've maybe heard before. But while the law is good, it is also very clear that it has not helped or empowered people to follow them. Maybe you know this story. And so now we see that the law, because it is good and because we can't follow it, we see something that isn't the best. We see our inadequacy to follow the law we see that because we can't follow the law, perhaps we aren't good or we can't do good. So how does a person please God? Paul writes in chapter two of Galatians, yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have, we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ Jesus, not because we have obeyed the law, for no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. Okay, Paul, says the three times, three sentences. We get it, we get it. And this is where Paul directly talks about the good news, the gospel. He talks about Jesus. He talks about the crucifixion, the death and resurrection of this man named Jesus. He talks about how Jesus has perfectly fulfilled the law or, or simply that Jesus has perfectly loved other people and perfectly loved God. And if we trust this man, if we trust this man, we will slowly die and then be reborn. That is the way to new life. And that way will actually be guided by his spirit, the spirit. And this process of dying and being reborn, this is how we become new humans, the humans that God always intended, humans who truly love other people. Paul says, chapter two, the very end, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting the son of God, Jesus, who loved me and gave, him, and gave himself for me. 
I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for if the keeping of the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. So we very clearly see in Paul's letter what it is that he's passionate about. What does it mean to follow Christ and how do you live that life? He says it's not by doing, it's not by following the law, by following these rules. So now let's dive in to Paul's letter together in chapter five, knowing a little bit more. So we're gonna start in verse 13, chapter five, verse 13. If you brought your Bibles, you can turn there. It'll be on the screens and it's also in your note page. Verse 13. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. Let's read that again. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under the obligation to the law of Moses. Okay, so I have a question, because maybe that was a little Christianese for you, a little religious, that's okay. How many of you know exactly what Paul's talking about, though? How many of you have wanted to do good, but you couldn't, but something stopped you? Isn't it strange that the people we love the most or that we're close with are often the people that see the worst parts of us? Isn't that strange? So Paul describes it as this war, this battling of the flesh and the spirit. These two different parts of us, one foot in each world. We read on in verse 19. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Whew. I think we can say that this is something that Paul cares a lot about. And it's easy to read that list, to hear that list being read and to want to distance ourselves from it, right? It's probably easy if we're really honest with ourselves to see some of us in that list. And while we don't have a ton of time to dive into just that, I do want to say this. It's important that we realize God is not just saying, here are things that I don't like and here are things that I do like. Don't do these, do these. Because if we look closely at this list, what we'll find is all of these things except two are all hurts and abuses with our relationships with other people. And what about those last two? What about idolatry and sorcery? Those have everything to do with our relationship with God and abuse and hurting that relationship. And so at the center of everything, it would seem that God is saying, I care about your relationship with people and I care about your relationship with me. Paul is saying that when you become a Christian, to become a Christian, when you trust your life with Jesus, it's no longer about following rules or right and wrong. 
Maybe that's the wrong question. What's right? What's wrong? Maybe it's never meant to be said that way. God isn't concerned with how morally right you are. Let me tell you a story. It's one of my favorite stories. Once upon a time. Actually, before there were once upon a time stories, in the very, very beginning, this is an old, old, ancient, beautiful story. Maybe you've heard it. In the beginning, there was nothing except God. There was darkness and void. The earth was still formless. And there existed God and the spirit, this divine wind. And slowly, they began to create. They created one thing, and they created another, and another. And every time, at the end of the day, they would say, oh, that's good. Like an artist looking at his art, his masterpiece, he'd say, oh, that's good. And there comes a day where God decides to make a creature. He says, I will make him in our image. So he makes humans. He says, it's very, very good. What happens next in this story? God warns Adam, God warns Eve, not to eat what? A fruit. Is it the fruit of the spirit? No, that's, that's a different verse. It's the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God warns them, if you eat this, you will surely die. Surely you will die. And this is where we all get really angry at grandpa, 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 great, 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 Adam and great grandma Eve, right? They eat the fruit. What happens? Is there life in the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? No. Is there life in following the law? No. And so what, what is Adam and Eve's response? First, they realize they're naked, so they freak out. They're ashamed. They feel embarrassed. They have to run. They, they feel like they have to hide from God. They have to hide from the person, the one who has created them. They have to hide from the divine. And this word shame, they hide, they cover themselves, not because they just think what they did was wrong, but because now they think who they are is wrong. Meanwhile, what, what is God concerned with? God asks a question. He calls out, where are you? Do you think God knew where they were? So from that point, quick summary. What is the entire rest of the Bible about? It's about God coming close. It's about God coming close. The entire story is about God redeeming any and all evil back to the beauty of the creation. That's what the story's about. So can you imagine for a moment, can you imagine a life you don't ever have to worry about hurting God. You don't ever have to worry if he's upset with you, angry with you, disappointed with you. You never have to worry about relationship conflicts. Never. You never have to worry about hurting someone else. You never have to worry about you getting hurt. And maybe you're like me and you're like, ah, that's too good to be true. There's no way. Like there, there's somewhere in this guy's gonna say, but. 
Like surely it can't be that good. There can't be like no rules. It can't be that free. It can't be that good. That's, that's scary if it's that good. If there aren't any rules, how do we do this thing called life right? If we don't follow the Torah, how do we know what pleases God? And what's Paul's response to this? Listen to the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Verse 22. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. Okay, so let's talk about self-control for a moment. Aren't you excited? Self-control is this word. It's not complicated. It describes someone who has control or mastery over their desires and their decisions. Okay. So how do you know if someone is spirit-filled? How do you know if someone is becoming like Jesus? They're free. They're free to choose to say yes or no. They're free to choose to say yes or no to this desire or that decision. They're free. They're free to truly be themselves. They're free to truly be human. And when they're faced with a choice, when they're faced with a desire, what do they do? They're free so they can make the choice, but they decide to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, which will always say, love others and love God. And so they follow that voice. Interestingly enough, self-control is the last word of this list that Paul gives us. It's the last one. It's almost as if Paul wanted to contrast the first one and the last one. So if the last one is self-control, what's the first one? Love. So if someone who is guided by the Spirit is full, has full control, full mastery of themselves, what, did that, what does that person do? What do we do? What do they do? Well, they love. That's what we humans were made to do. That's who we are. It's almost, it's almost as if, it's almost as if, I know this is gonna sound crazy, but it's almost as if we were made in the image of our creator who is love. It's, it's crazy, it's crazy. The fulfillment of the Torah, the fulfillment, this whole story of the Bible is us becoming who we were always meant to be so that we can join all of creation as we all belong to God. So let's read in this last verse, Galatians 5, 25. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to, the, to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's lead in every part of our lives. And it's here at the end of chapter five in Paul's letter that we are reminded of a really, really sobering truth. Paul says, when Jesus hung on the cross and he died, who died with him? We did. Those who follow Christ die with him. To become like Jesus requires us to die. It also requires us to trust. To trust that the same spirit that made the, the murky chaos at the very beginning of time brought life out of chaos. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead will actually 
create something new in us, bring new life in us, to make us a new type of human, to join the new world. But the power comes from the Spirit, not us. So we must follow the Spirit's leading. We have a role to play. After all, it's a relationship. And this is how I want us to end our time together. Let's tease out, let's finish out Paul's metaphor, this metaphor of fruit. As followers of Jesus, our goal is to become like Jesus, to become truly human again, that that same type of human that God always intended, right? And so Paul says, when you ask him this deep, deep theological, philosophical question, how do you do that? He says, "Mm, it's like, no, it's not like that. It's like a garden, it's like fruit. So what does a plant need to grow? What does a plant need to grow? Think back, science. Soil, I heard that. Good job, soil. Water, what else? The sun, nutrients. Paul says, if we think about this metaphor of fruit, of something growing, maybe we'll get it. The spirit is the one who produces it. Not you, not me, the spirit. This invisible, intangible, life-giving, animating, divine wind, almost like the sun, is what produces this fruit. And all those things that we listed, soil, the sun, nutrients, water, how many of those things do we actually have control over? Can you increase or decrease the energy the sun gives off? Nope, not at all. Can you increase or decrease, say, how much of the nutrients in the soil the plant will absorb? Nada, definitely not. So is it just up to the spirit? Surely that's where it starts and that's where the power comes from. And so for the gardeners in this room, let's just say, pretend, we just plant something in our garden and we leave it there for a week. Are we gonna see a tomato the next day? The next week? Some of us are like, oh, we might. I don't know, I've never done it before. For those of us who know what we're doing, we're like, no way. And so you, what we can do is we can cultivate the ground. We can create an environment where that plant can grow, but we can't control its growth, right? And so say we plant it, we control things, we try to give it the right amount of sunlight, we read up on it and how much nutrients it needs and what types of nutrients it needs, and it grows and it bears fruit. When it bears its fruit, do we look at that plant and say, oh my gosh, I did that. That was me. No, of course not. That would be silly. And the same is true of us when we as humans grow. The power is the power of the Holy Spirit. Or as Paul says it probably way better than I can. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. So friends, there is a divine wind that is ready to strengthen you. Here's how I'd like us to end our time. If you would, would you be open to me praying over you? Cool. I didn't didn't have anything planned if you said no. During that time, would you practice receiving from God? Whatever it is that God might wanna tell you to whisper to you, to ask you to do. And then, after that, would you individually spend time with him, 
asking him questions, talking to him, reflecting on the things that are in your life. I'll come out and we'll pray and we can respond together corporately with worship. And as I pray for you, remember this, God is pleased to reveal himself to you. Let's pray. Above all, trust in the slow work of God. We are quite naturally impatient in everything to reach the end without delay. We should like to skip the intermediate stages. We are impatient of being on the way to something unknown or something new. And yet it is the law of all progress that it is made by passing through some stages of instability and that it may take a very long time. And so I think it is with you. Your ideas mature gradually, let them grow. Let them shape themselves without undue haste. Don't try to force them on as though you could be today what tomorrow, that is to say, grace and circumstances acting on your own goodwill will make of you tomorrow. Only God could say what this new spirit gradually forming within you will be. Give our Lord the benefit of believing that his hand is leading you and accept the anxiety of feeling yourself in suspense and incomplete. Trust in the slow work of God. God, thanks for this time together. God, as you continue to speak to us tonight, today, and throughout the week, we are listening. God, we love you. We're grateful for you. We're grateful that we can engage with you, that you reveal yourself to us, that you're working to heal us in this world. God, we're so grateful. I ask that you would remind us throughout this week, whatever it is that you would want to say specifically to each and every one of us. God, we love you. Thank you that you love us. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.